Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Good morning, Crossview family. You know, we just want to say thank you for joining us each week here online. We know that God is transforming hearts and changing lives through the ministries and the people of Crossview online. Uh, And we are so thankful to be able to be together in this way. You know, we've been looking together at different psalms each week for the past four weeks, and I'm really looking forward to this morning. We're going to look at one of the most well-known psalms uh, in the book of Psalms today, Psalm 51. You know, the psalms help us because they can be instructive on how we should deal with certain areas of our life. They're prescriptive, and that is what we find here in Psalm 51. So I want you to imagine yourself in this scenario, that you've been held in custody without bail on a serious charge. The courtroom battle has dragged on for weeks, draining your vitality and weighing upon you with increasing anxiety. Finally, the big moment has arrived with handcuffs on the bailiff leads you to the courtroom. The jury files in after several days of deliberations and the courtroom falls silent as the judge calls the court to order. And he asks the foreman for a verdict. Your heart is pounding and your mouth is dry as you watch the foreman stand up. The rest of your life depends on these next few words. Your honor, the jury finds the defendant not guilty. A flood of relief sweeps over you as tears of joy well up in your eyes, not guilty, as, as if this heavy weight just drops from your shoulders. And then the bailiff unlocks your handcuffs and you hear the judge declare, you are free to go. Freedom. That's what you've just received and life suddenly takes on new meaning. You are free from confinement, free from the constant pressure of the charges that were against you, free as you begin a new life. Can you just imagine how that would feel? I hope so. And in fact, every believer in Jesus ought to know what that feels like. Our psalm for today was written by David, and the psalms show us that David knew how it felt to have God as his judge, but he also knew the joy and the relief of experiencing God's forgiveness. So today, as we look at Psalm 51, we're going to see what to do when we encounter sin in our life and what to do when we mess up. As we look at God through the lens of Psalm 51 today, we're going to see traits of God that David experienced when he was in a very dark place. And the good news for us is that these traits we also experience as we look at this idea of repentance and forgiveness in Psalm 51. This psalm is one that we can all relate to um, as we've all sinned. But it also gives us a process to follow as we walk with David into the forgiveness that God offers us. Psalm 51 is one of seven psalms called the penitential psalms because it's an individual lament where David is lamenting his own well-known sin. Remember what the Psalms of Lament are all about. They're about crying out to God, expressing pain about something, and calling for God's action. And in Psalm 51, David has really messed up, and he expresses deep regret and pain to God. And I love how the Psalm doesn't hide David's sin or ignore it, but it puts it on display for all to see. In part, this Psalm gives us permission to grieve our mistakes, but it doesn't leave us there. Psalm 51, if we'll let it, leads us into a time of reflection, conviction, and repentance. And this can be such a powerful psalm. Are you willing to do that this morning? Are you willing to allow the scripture to speak deeply to your heart today? And maybe the harder question might be, are you willing to take action that God, through his spirit, might be guiding you toward this morning? 
because this is one of those psalms that you just can't ignore. So let's jump into the story. There was once a man who blew it big time. He was an ancient king, super rich, incredibly powerful. He was a smart leader, wise, and, and about as godly as they came. And his name was David, the king of Israel. But even though David was rich and powerful and wise and godly, he was still human. And in a weak moment, King David of Israel, standing on his balcony, saw a woman named Bathsheba bathing. In his desire for her, he sent for her and slept with her, even though her husband was one of his loyal soldiers on a military mission on behalf of his kingdom. A little while later, David receives a message and it went something like this. Hello, King David. I'm pregnant. Signed, Bathsheba. David immediately set to work covering things up. He tried to hide his sin by getting Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to take a leave from the battlefield, to come home and to be with his wife. I mean, a few days at home between a loving couple and Uriah would conclude that the child was his, right? Well, the plot didn't work. Uriah's sense of duty was too strong. Why should he sleep in his bed when his fellow soldiers were on the battlefield? So Uriah slept in the doorway of his house. David's plan A failed. So in a desperate maneuver, David ordered Uriah's, Uriah's murder, carefully designed to look like a battlefield tragedy. It was the perfect plan. Uriah would receive a hero's funeral, and David would look sympathetic in marrying the grieving widow. No one would question David's actions. No one would pry into his business, and he would get away with it. At least that's what he thought, and it seemed to work at first. Now, this slice out of David's life teaches us something very important, that even the best of us fail. Like David, we all have something that we deeply regret or are ashamed of, we're embarrassed about, something that has changed uh, us in one way or another. We all deal with sin. And maybe you've experienced a moment like David's. Maybe in a desperate hour, you've wondered, how can I ever recover? How can I erase the guilt of, this, of the sin that I've, I've done? How can I ever be found not guilty and set free? And then there's the question of, can I actually find the courage and the strength to deal with the consequences of my actions, whatever they may be? So let's look at the rest of the story because David's example is here to remind us that God knows our sin no matter how we try to camouflage things and that there is a way forward. So if you look at the, the heading of Psalm 51, you'll see that it was written after Nathan, God's messenger, called a prophet, confronted David with his sin. It, it, this is a stunning moment in scripture where Nathan comes and tells David exactly what he has done, even though David has told no one. And you find it in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David is caught. And what happens next doesn't usually happen in the chambers of kings. Plausible deniability, displacement of blame, attacking the critic, or some other tactic is a common method of operation when you're caught, right? Especially if you hold power. But David doesn't do any of that. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, it records that David, the king, in a moment of brokenness, simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. And here in Psalm 51, we see David's own confession before God, and it's incredible. In this psalm, David's confession gives us a roadmap to, on, on how, we deal, how we can deal with sin in our own life. The first thing that we notice is this. David takes responsibility. 
David doesn't fall into the self-justifying trap of shifting the blame. He doesn't say that the devil made me do it or I was just having a bad day. He doesn't point to Bathsheba uh, for bathing on her rooftop or to his general for obeying his order leaving, uh, leading to Uriah's death. He takes responsibility and we see this in Psalm 51 verses 1 through 4. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. It's my fault, my sin, my misdeed, David says. Wow, this is like the tension of a detective's interrogation room, right? They always want the truth, a confession, but the other person on the other side of the table is always, always seems to be fighting that, but not David here in Psalm 51. And he didn't stop at this first confession. In fact, he takes it further. In verse 5, he adds, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. David's perspective is significant in that he recognizes his sins are symptomatic of a deeper problem, one present even before birth. This isn't just an external issue of bad behavior. It's an internal issue, a heart issue that we all deal with and is in large part why God put in motion his plan of rescue for all of us. David recognized, and we need to as well, that there is brokenness in each of us that needs to be renewed and can only truly be done so by the one who created us and designed the way that all things should work. There is a rescue plan, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, David doesn't try to cut a deal with God or negotiate his consequences. In fact, he closes verse 4 by acknowledging God was right to pass judgment against him. This kind of approach with God is so necessary. It's vulnerable, it's humble, and it comes from a heart of surrender and one that deeply desires or desired in David's case continued relationship with God. It leaves us in the hands of God's will, which if you remember God's character is gracious and merciful and forgiving. We can trust him. By the way, this is also a very healthy approach to your human relationships as well, especially with your significant other. Our ability to take responsibility humbly is directly proportionate to the, to the health of our relationships. The phrase, I'm sorry, is one that we should all be willing to use a lot. So David, uh, the first thing he did was take responsibility. The second thing that we see that he did is closely related to the first. He confesses, he comes clean. And it took a bit, but he finally confesses. David lived in denial for a while before he reached the point of confession to God. There's some time between the events with David and Bathsheba and, and Uriah and Nathan. And when Nathan showed up to confront David, most scholars think it's about a year. So he thought he was scot-free. Maybe he thought he got away with it. God, but God can bring conviction and loving correction right when we need it. And David realizes this when Nathan comes to talk to him about it. But once he realized that he hadn't fooled God, he stopped playing games. You know, we do this all the time. There may be things in your relationship with God or in the relationships with others that, that you think are as safely locked away, that, that you can ignore or live in denial about as long as it doesn't come into the light. And can I tell you that this is a dangerous way to live emotionally, spiritually, and relationally? 
the hidden weight of sin can quickly become overwhelming and destructive. We were not designed to live like that. We were designed to live in the freedom that is given to us by God through his Holy Spirit. And what happens if you don't come clean? If you just stuff your sin away, you lock it away and pretend that it never happened? Well, let David tell you from a different psalm, Psalm 32, he writes this. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. God didn't design us to live carrying the weight of our sin. And notice again the characteristics of God. He's gracious and loving and forgiving. And my prayer is that we will follow David's example. That when we mess up and, and we all do, that we take responsibility. And secondly, that we come clean. Because when we do, we come face to face with the character of God. And remember the theme of Psalm 2, that God promises to save us and to restore us and to give us hope and purpose. Once we take responsibility and confess and come clean, then we can move to the third thing that we leave, the, the third thing that we learn from Psalm 51, and, and it's exactly what David did next. He asked for and he received God's forgiveness. When David gets to this last step, it's powerful and it's beautiful. Uh, let's read together in Psalm 51, 7 through 12. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Tucked into the first expressions of David's confession, we read, Be gracious to me, O God. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. When he asks to be forgiven, for sins to be removed and erased, for him to be washed and cleaned, he cries out for God's work in him to be done. He wants what only God can accomplish, forgiveness, to be made clean. And here's the good news. God comes through. And can I offer you just a point of encouragement this morning that God is willing and able to do a complete heart remodel no matter what it is that you're dealing with. It's through the work of Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross that makes it possible for us to have new life. Our sins died with Jesus and we have a new heart, new life, a renewed relationship with God through faith. And the ultimate hope is available to us. Throughout this psalm, David is desperate to not only have his sins forgiven, but he's desperate for God's presence and his power and his will. Is that you this morning? It's important to recognize that in this psalm, there is an urgency, a desperation to David's appeal. Use whatever means are necessary, but let no sin remain. I've waited too long. Do it now, God. Because what's most important is you, God, in my life. Did you know that the word create that's used in verse 10 is the same word that's used to describe crea the creation of the world? Something brand new and good and only something that God can do. 
This new heart would bring David the fellowship with God that he's longing for in Psalm 51. Listen to the words that David has for us in the midst of the forgiveness. Again, we find another passage in Psalm 32. It reads like this. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life and I will advise you and watch over you. I'm so thankful for the example of David in the Psalms. He models for us how we should deal with sin in our life. One, he takes responsibility. Two, he confesses. And three, he asks for and receives forgiveness. Now these may seem obvious, but what isn't immediately obvious is the emotional and spiritual journey that goes along with these steps. And David puts that on display in this Psalm. So let's follow David's example as he models an urgent desperation for God that leads us to humble repentance and the joy of a renewed heart, a loyal spirit, and a willingness to obey. I'd like to invite you to pray with me as we respond to the work of God's Spirit in our heart and mind this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for your word. Thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for the journey that they're taking us on. God, we just thank you for not only the um, understanding of Psalms of lament, but Psalms of praise and thanksgiving. And now we come to a Psalm like this today, and we're just so thankful for the way that it instructs us both on your character that you are a good and loving God who um, wants to deal with the sin and rebellion uh, in our heart and mind. And so, God, we just come to you open-handed. God, we, just, uh, we, we come and we ask that you search us. God, show us any wicked way in us. And I pray that we have the courage, uh, the sense of urgency to confess that because we want what you have for our life. And we don't want anything to get in the way. So if there's any hidden sin, God, we, can, we confess. Come, come and shine the light in our heart and mind. Open the doors where we might be trying to hide things. God, we don't want any wicked way in us. So Holy Spirit, bring any type of conviction that's needed. We confess that. Bring us the freedom that can only come through your spirit. Fill us with love, your grace, and your spirit. Help us just experience the freedom that we were intended to have in you and through you, through faith. We give you honor and praise and glory. In your name we pray, amen. Let's move into a time of communion today and let's continue to worship as well.